for September 2nd. This is Ballot Box, the Pointers coverage of the 2021 Canadian federal election. Reporting today, Sam Graywall with Joel Whitnabel. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us. The podcast that we're going to be doing from now till the election is Ballot Vox, and it's going to be every Monday to Thursday, four days a week. We might go a couple of days after the election, and we're really happy today for the kickoff show of Ballot Vox to have Chris Cochran, a University of Toronto professor with us, and we have Joel Whitnabel with The Pointer as well. And Chris, I'll get you to start off by setting the table. What have you seen so far in the election? And then later on, we're going to focus on a key issue for Mississauga and Brampton, and that's immigration. Sure. I, I mean, I think it's a campaign which, when it was launched, everybody expected the Liberals to be well-positioned to win. They had managed the COVID pandemic. We've seen other provincial governments at the time of the election call had had success in calling campaigns, especially in BC, for example. But in Nova Scotia, you know, on the eve of the federal election call, the incumbents were unseated, which some interpreted might have been a little bit of a, a shot across the liberal bow. But in any case, they went ahead, they called the election. And now we are in the campaign we're in. The Liberals have not run a good campaign to this point. They had a hit in public opinion as soon as they called the election because a lot of people, number one, didn't want an election in the middle of the fourth wave of a pandemic. And number two, couldn't figure out why the Liberals decided to call the election anyway, given they had two more years left in their mandate and were able to enact basically all of the legislation they've so far promised to enact. So why call it early? And Aaron O'Toole, I think, has surprised a lot of people. Many didn't know him by running an effective campaign. And Jagmeet Singh is in a position to maybe pick up some of the progressives that may bail from the Liberal Party. They seem to be doing not the greatest so far, but they're picking up a few points and who knows what the next few weeks will hold. So it's a much more interesting election, I think, than most expected when it was called and far from the Liberals sailing to a majority. Now they're really in a hard fight just to hang on to government at all. Yeah, that's fascinating. And I do agree. Um, I think it has been quite a surprise to a lot of people following the polls carefully, watching the liberal decline and Mr. O'Toole doing, you know, really well. I, I agree with you. I think a lot of Canadians have been surprised by what they've seen with Mr. O'Toole. He was somewhat unknown. He wasn't a high profile MP previously. So I think now that he has the national stage and he has this huge platform, we're starting to see that he comes off as a very relatable person. But something that I wanted to get into with you and focus on for the show, in Brampton and Mississauga, two cities with a population of about one and a half million people, huge immigrant populations, and immigration is always a big federal election issue in Mississauga and Brampton. Sometimes it's even the swing issue that basically determines the result. Ahead of the 21 election, uh, 2011 election, I should say, Jason Kenney, at the time the immigration minister, and Stephen Harper really tried to court the ethnic vote, the immigrant vote across the country. They made a big, a lot of big promises on immigration and pledges. They did not live up to those. They they cut immigration targets. They increased the uh, the landing fee. They made a mockery of the application process. They dramatically cut visas to uh, parents and grandparents in the family reunification category from about 20,000 in 2005 to uh, about 11,000 in 2011. So that came as a big shock. And they paid the price. Come 2015, 
we had a weak liberal leader in 2011, Michael Ignatiev. So that might have been part of why the conservatives in 2011 won all what was then eight ridings in Mississauga and Brampton. It's now 11. But they paid the price in, in 2015 when the liberals swept all 11 of the Brampton Mississauga ridings. And, you know, part of that might have been the Trudeau factor, and you might not have had the most popular conservative leader. There was certainly a little bit of vote splitting that had taken place in 2011 between the NDP and the Liberals. So a lot of things were at play, but certainly the immigration issue was a big one in Brampton and Mississauga. What do you see, Chris, on the immigration file, taking a look at the conservative platform, taking a look at someone like Mr. O'Toole, do you see a move away from past conservative party right-wing sentiment around immigration? You know, certainly immigration was a little bit of a a bogeyman, like, you know, something that was used by a lot of right-wing politicians to fear monger and get a lot of support for people who who had concerns about immigration. Do you see things changing under Mr. O'Toole? Well, I think there's certainly the question of what Aaron O'Toole himself thinks about immigration, and I have no doubt that that he supports it as strongly as any of the other party leaders. But then the second question of what sort of goes on within the Conservative Party, both among the the caucus in in Parliament, but also among the base, the supporters, the people they depend on for volunteers and, and energy and so on. And you're right to point out that Stephen Harper and Jason Kenney made a great effort to attract communities that traditionally didn't vote conservative. They wanted the conservative party to be seen as something more, obviously, than a party for white people. And they wanted to appeal to people living in in urban areas and especially people living in suburban areas, which A, are an increasingly important group in Canadian society in terms of their numbers, and then as a result of that are also more important for parties in in an effort to win elections. But I think more than just the strategic calculus, there is a broader commitment to the idea of immigration, a vision of Canada as as an immigrant society, as a place where people can come from different backgrounds and you know, enjoy their life and and contribute to their to their new society and and benefit from it in return. So that element is very strong in all of the political parties, including the Conservative Party. The Conservatives, however, as you mentioned, have had issues in in some elements of their base where there's clearly a more kind of an American style tentativeness around immigration. And it's never as explicit in Canada as it is in the United States or has been recently in the United States and and certainly not as explicit in Canada as it is in some right-wing parties in Europe. But you still saw things, for example, the barbarian cultural practices tip line. You saw people talking about Canadian values tests, for example, Kelly Leach and her leadership race. And even though, you know, ostensibly those kinds of comments aren't clearly anti-immigrant. I mean, nobody is standing up and saying we need to ban immigration or uh, or immigrants are bad for Canadian society. I think everyone understood the kinds of people that those signals were appealing to. And so in the 2015 election, for example, when the conservative government at the time in the campaign made a big deal of banning the wearing of niqabs in citizenship ceremonies, even though a lot of Canadians support that, including a lot of immigrant Canadians, it still seemed to have a, a bit of a, an effort to try to resonate with an anti-immigrant element of their base or anti-immigrant 
elements in the population that they hope to attract. And I do think it it backfired on the Conservatives, not least because it, it made life very difficult for the NDP in Quebec, which then uh, left the anybody but Conservative vote in Canadian society, which is pretty large, to all flock to the Liberals and ultimately propel Trudeau to victory. So it, the Conservative Party does have a, a mixed record on immigration, but they certainly have a very strong commitment to economic growth. And given that Canada has virtually zero productivity growth and a, we don't have a birth rate that's sufficient to replace a population, everyone understands the importance of immigration for the Canadian economy and also for Canadian society. Though, as you mentioned, it does get a little bit more controversial on on questions of levels of family reunification and so on, which can in some circles be seen as putting the economic benefits of immigration and the social benefits of immigration at odds with each other. Just before I throw to you, Joel, I'll, I'll just point out uh, a few details regarding, um, unfortunately, we're not going to talk about the NDP too much. Obviously, Jagmeet Singh has deep ties to to Peel. He's the former provincial MPP who cut his teeth. He started in, in politics in Brampton as, a, as an MPP, a provincial MPP for the NDP, rose eventually to deputy leader of the party before he jumped over and successfully contested the, uh, the NDP leadership race. And his platform and the NDP platform has been pretty bold previously in, in 2019 and again uh, now in 2021 on immigration. There's really no surprise when it comes to the NDP and being very, very open to both uh, family reunification and family category numbers and levels and economic targets for immigration. But shifting over to the Liberals and, and the Conservatives, Joel, were you surprised that even though the Conservatives in their platform don't outline any specific targets or numbers for either the economic class or economic categories or the family categories? Were you surprised at some of the positive language? You know, the the platform talks about specifically going to each province to look at their needs and how immigration policy and immigration can specifically help meet the economic needs of each province so that they can really tailor immigration to the various industries in each province. That kind of language showing so much, not only support for immigration, but a recognition that that immigration is vital. You know, as Chris said, productivity is hugely dependent on our labor market capacity and the quality of our labor markets. And to see the conservatives recognize that immigration is a key to those labor markets, to bringing in skilled workers, to bringing in the best and the brightest in a lot of fields and working directly with the provinces to set immigration policy and levels and whatnot. Was that a bit of a surprise to you, Joel? And, and you can talk a little bit about what you know of Mr. O'Toole. For me, it wasn't really a surprise. We've seen from our past reporting even that the mayors in the GTA and just all of these big city centers that are receiving a lot of these immigrants that are coming to to Ontario, that they've been asking for pretty much what exactly is in the conservative platform for this election, that they, they want more involved seat at the table in terms of like being able to get the support that they need. Like if they're being asked to absorb and settle all of these new immigrants that are coming, they should be able to get the support from the upper levels of government to be able to support those individuals. And so for that reason, I wasn't surprised to see it. I think it's a drastic change from what we saw in the platforms of Shear and, and Harper before. It shows 
to me anyways, uh, a willingness of the Conservative Party to listen or to work with the lower levels of government, which I think is something a lot of politicians at those two levels will be very you know, encouraged to see. From my experience with having interviewed Aaron O'Toole several times while I was reporting in Oshawa, where he is the member of parliament for Durham, to be honest, I wasn't surprised when the, the platform came out. He has shown himself to be a politician who is willing to to listen to all sides. I spent a day with him on Parliament Hill for an assignment and got to spend obviously several hours just sitting and talking with him and observing the way that he worked. And I remember one of the things he had said to me, which I, I thought was just sort of telling about his personality, not to mention the fact that he is clearly a very hard worker. He said that the more experience you can bring to politics, the better you're able to understand the issues of all sorts of Canadians or all groups of Canadians or all groups of people and the issues that they face. And I think that when you look at the platform, that statement is very much sort of embedded into a lot of what I read in the platform. I remember after the day that I spent with him, I remember telling people that I could easily see him becoming the leader of the party one day. And this was after his failed attempt to become the leader, I believe it was in 2015. Chris, what you re referenced at the start with a lot of people sort of, this is almost their first introduction to him as the leader. He is coming off very positively among a lot of people. And that's sort of what I observed. He is a very approachable guy, a drastic shift from the last two leaders that the uh, Conservative Party have put up for Canadians to vote for. If I was Trudeau, I'd be a little bit concerned. Chris, I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, history. When I broke in a long time ago, almost 30 years ago, into journalism, and I was working with the Toronto Star, and I remember sitting down with some members of the Italian-Canadian community in the GTA, and we were talking about the Liberal Party and what, what they had said to me, and I, I spoke to politicians about this, and I remember doing a piece about it, that the Liberal Party had... had it was perceived by a lot of Italian Canadians in the late 70s and, and going into the 80s, certainly by the late 80s, that it being recognized or quite often characterized as as the party of immigrants. Pierre Elliott Trudeau, everything he did with the Multiculturalism Act and, you know, making immigration a pretty key issue for him and what was done under earlier liberal governments and liberal governments, you know, in that period to, to really open up Canadian society and introduce multicultural values. Like I said, introducing the Multiculturalism Act, expanding immigration, and what happened, you know, since then, certainly did establish the party as the preferred choice among many immigrant groups. But what I was told was that there was a sense that a lot of those groups had come to feel taken for granted, that there wasn't a lot of more sophisticated policy around guaranteeing the success of new Canadians or, you know, making sure that they had everything available to compete for the best jobs and to make sure that future generations and their families were going to have all the same opportunities. And in many other areas, even issues around immigration policies specifically were criticized by a lot of former supporters. And we saw a lot of that. We saw a lot of those questions being raised by some traditional supporters of the liberals who might identify themselves through their ethnicity and and through their immigrant experiences, through their identity as, as newcomers. And like we said in, in 2011, there was a lot of success that the Conservatives had wooing a lot of those groups. Again, it could have been factors like vote splitting with the NDP and not the strongest Liberal leader, Michael Ignatieff, who I think we can all agree did not perform very well. But 
nonetheless, there was a real sense that maybe a lot of these communities needed to take another look. The conservatives didn't live up to the opportunity. They fell short, as I mentioned before. But I want to go back to that theme about the liberals with you, Chris. They're not increasing the family reunification targets. The level for next year is not going up at all. That's a big concern for a lot of people. In Brampton and Mississauga, it's a huge issue. Even though the economic category targets are going up, they've already gone up quite dramatically to 401,000 overall, overall immigrants. About 232,000 of those 401 are economic category. And then it goes up to 411,000, as I mentioned, next year, and then 421,000 overall. So those are, those are big increases, no doubt about it. But do you see a little bit of a, a risk for the liberals in not approaching immigration and immigration policy in a way that directly benefits them at the ballot box. And I'm not saying that, you know, we should, you know, I'm not endorsing pandering for votes and and strategically trying to tie policy just for elections. But do you see a risk in the liberals not living up to the expectations of groups that have traditionally supported them? Yeah, I mean, you certainly, you're exactly right that the liberals were for quite a long time seen as the party that immigrant Canadians voted for. And even people who espouse values that would in all other respects, align more closely with other parties, seem to have a loyalty, a lingering loyalty to the Liberal Party. And that eroded over time. And I think a part of the reason it eroded was change in the Conservatives as well, that multiculturalism, it was introduced into the House of Commons and all of the parties officially supported it. But it took some time for the Conservatives to really get up to speed at sending the signals that these were the kinds of messages that they supported. And you're also mentioning, for example, the the family reunification versus the economic class of immigrants, which clearly is an important issue for people who are in Canada and wanting to bring their family here. But it also raises a bit of a distinction between, on the one hand, the way the government treats immigrants who are here, and then, on the other hand, the way that the government approaches immigration policy looking forward into the future. And obviously, family reunification very clearly is about numbers of immigration in the future, but it's also about how the people who are in Canada now as Canadian citizens are treated, because being able to bring your family and live with your family and have them near to you is, is for a lot of people, one of, if not the most important thing that they can actually have as part of a, you know, living a, a good and happy life. So that is really um, a policy, it seems to me, oriented at people who are here. The question about economic class of immigrants, I mean, it's always struck me as an interesting aspect of the immigration debate in Canada, is that, for example, Canadians would look at somebody like Donald Trump in the United States and sneer at his very clearly anti-immigrant rhetoric that he perpetuated all throughout his presidential campaign and all four years of his presidency. But if somebody were to have offered Donald Trump an immigration program that looked like Canada's, I'm sure he he would have taken it. The idea of a, of a point system, for example, of admitting only people who have high levels of education or high levels, high likelihoods of succeeding in the labor force. So that's a particular model of immigration oriented to improving the state of the Canadian economy quite clearly, that all of the parties can get behind, even if they didn't have, which, and I think they do genuinely have, but even if they didn't have an affection for immigration in general, they could get behind that for economic reasons, pure and simple. So 
that it seems to me is very different from a model of supporting immigration because you see it as an opportunity for people who live elsewhere to come and and make a good life for themselves in Canada and contribute to the community around them. And I think what the Conservatives did under the Harper government in particular is they oriented their party to being the party that aligned closely with the sorts of values that the people who come to Canada would support as they were trying to get their new lives up and running. So ideas, for example, like religious freedom, which the the government promoted, even things like religious schools, for instance, which the government initially in the early days, the Harper government certainly promoted, but work ethic, thrift, and all of these sorts of values that align quite closely, even more so with immigrant Canadians than non-immigrant Canadians in, in many respects. And until the 2015 election, when for strategic political reasons, they Uh, let their messaging slip a little bit. It seemed to be a party that was, in rhetoric at least, and and to some degree in in policy, supportive of communities in Canada who had moved here from elsewhere, but also supportive of the idea of immigration in general. And O'Toole, it seems to me, is, you know, she really hasn't talked a lot about it so far on the campaign. But my hunch is, and, and based on everything I've seen from him, my hunch is that he certainly obviously understands the economic benefits of immigration, but I think he also understands the, the need for things like family reunification and the, the contributions that immigrants make, not just to the economy of, of the country, but also to society more generally. What, what do you think is, is, is a major difference in, in terms of the optics? A, a, a lot of the communities that we're talking about, the voting blocks, the groups, I hate to put it that way to be cynical and, and refer to them as voting blocks, but a, a lot of these communities of immigrants, uh, the various ethnic communities in places like Brampton and Mississauga, what do you think about the difference in the optics in terms of how Andrew Shear came off to a lot of those communities and the way Mr. O'Toole might appear or be perceived by a lot of those communities? Yeah, it's it's hard to say in terms of, you know, as kind of an immigrant demographic in general, as you mentioned, there are many different communities who would see things differently. But it's also quite stark, the contrast between Andrew Shear's strategy in the election. And he did win the popular vote. Uh, at least he was a you know percentage point or so ahead of the liberals. So it's hard to say that he, you know, had a disastrous campaign by any stretch. But he was extremely negative. He was extremely hostile in the debates, for example. He referred to Mr. Trudeau as a phony and a fraud. And I've never seen anything like that in a in a Canadian political debate. And 10 years before he said that, I think that kind of comment would have been much more shocking than it was. So he ran a very negative campaign against the Liberals. And O'Toole has run as positive a campaign as I've seen Conservatives run. I mean, obviously, they've had ads and so on that have really attacked the the Liberals. And and in some respects, it is the opposition's job to attack the government, clearly. But his image of, you know, really sort of, in a way, surprisingly, has usurped Prime Minister Trudeau's image as as a the positive presence in Canadian politics. And now the Liberals are running from behind. Positivity seems not to be the strategy that they're they're adopting. It's um, it's very much an, an attack strategy. So this cements, it seems to me, Aaron O'Toole's opportunity to reinforce that positive image and frankly, just to act prime ministerial. And I think that appeals to a lot of Canadians right across party lines and also across uh, immigration status. All right. I really want to thank U of T Professor Chris Cochran for joining us on Ballot Vox, Joel Whitnabel as well. And we will talk to everyone or with everyone again on Monday. 
Ballot Box was hosted by Sam Graywall with Joel Whitnable, produced by Anukal Thacker and yours truly. Join us Monday for continuing coverage of the 2021 Canadian federal election. I'm Jeff Chalmers. Thank you for listening. See you then.